It's a pleasure to be here again, and it's a joy to be part of a missionary conference. And I truly amazed myself to see how much God has done and uh, going to do through Grace Bible Church to see all these beautiful videos from different people from different parts of the world, to hear these music bands, uh, various music styles. Uh, you guys are very gifted. It's amazing. And, uh, and you know, Bible saying that whom giving more going to be responsible more, right? And so it's a privilege to have so much, and it's a joy to give everything to others. Uh, it also is a, it's a joy for my family because of uh, my wife's parents who moved to Moscow recently became our church members just this Sunday. Uh, and our youngest daughter have a birthday today, so we kind of recorded, we kind of talked with you on FaceTime. Uh, uh, I wish they would be here uh, together with us. So we're going to finish our uh, missional conference with... Uh, passage which is very familiar to all of you. I have no doubt that you read it, you heard many sermons, um, even you not been maybe many, uh, maybe it's a church kind of fairly new to you, it's still a very familiar passage. But I will start from beginning, looking back to my uh, time and uh, or my youth time. I was graduating from high school or graduating high school when the Soviet Union ceased to exist. So I found myself uh, at uh, the university immersed in uh, endless conversations about uh, the bright future of our country. And it's been, it's been 30 years ago. Each student uh, was sure that he or she has best plan or best solution. It is interesting to know, to know that God was rarely mentioned there. And, and if I started to bring up Christ's name or talking about Christ, many were indifferent or even actively opposed. Such was Yuri. Yuri, the young man whose name was Yuri, he mocked me my face and often just vigorously argued against it. It went on like that throughout all our college years for five years in a row. By the way, this kind of talk about improving the world does not stop around me to this day. What needs to happen? What needs to happen to make the world a better place to live, for the nation to prosper, and for the people around us experience? joy and happiness, when there is pains and sorrows surround you, it seems impossible. It just becomes like a naive dream or kind of uh, empty mirage. So many solutions exist now. Politicians, economists, IT guys, guys like Elon Musk and social activists, we are offered one idea after another, how we can improve, what we do. But what are we going to offer as Christians? What do we Christians say? How do we act? How do we relate to people around us who don't seem to understand or even like us? Yes, how I perceive the reality around me. The people my eyes see, the event that happened in public life, in difficulties and challenges my generation, our generation face now. The Bible we find in the Bible, the Bible gives us a unique answer. Very familiar. So let's open Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And please stand with me as we read God's Word to honor His name and just to be grateful for the only truly truthful word that we can find in this uh, world around us. So we read from verse 32 to verse 38. As they were going out, and Matthew talking about Jesus and his disciples, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. And we're saying, 
Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is God's word. Let's, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we read this word, and you knew that we're going to read this word this day. And you knew that each of us going to be here. And you knew that we would have this missionary conference. So, Lord, please speak to us. For many of us, this passage is so familiar. So we need your grace and the work of the Holy Spirit that we could refresh and even renew and even to get better understanding, but even more to move to apply this passage. Please bless each of us. You know our hearts so well, much better than even we know. And you know what to say to each of us. So please use this text and talk to each of us in order we will get closer to you and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, you may be seated. And we're going to immerse and jump into this beautiful passage. So, it's a, it's a, you know, it's such a joy to open God's Word with you because of, there are so many faces familiar to me. I feel so at home here. I wish we'll stay a little longer, uh, but we got to go back to Russia uh, for ministry. So let's, uh, we're going to look at this passage uh, through the main hero of this text, Jesus Christ himself. He's shown here that he is a good shepherd, walking, saving, preaching, teaching, and uh, harvesting here. So let's see his ministry context first. It could be found in a verse 32 to 35. First, we see false accusations. Notice that unfavorable circumstances for Christ's ministry. The high religious leaders spread terrible rumors about him, put sticks into his will, and hindered his work when he was truly, generally helping people. They said that he was employee of Satan, that all his glorious deeds resulted from satanic power. You know, Satan's strategy has not been changed since centuries. The first Christians were accused in cannibalism when they were taking communion, talking about Christ's body and his blood. They were accused in atheism because they were talking that there is only one true God, Jesus Christ, and they were accused in treason because they were saying that Jesus Christ, he is curious, the Lord, not Caesar. The same was true for Russian evangelicals. None of believers who've been in prison at that time, including my boss of my grandfathers, they've all been there not for their official face, face in Christ, but they were there all there for on, under false and fabricated charges. It's happened to them. It's my happen to me too <laughs> these days. So my beloved brothers and sisters, all these false accusations and obstacles did not stop ministry of Jesus. So don't think that if you're doing something for the Lord, it's going to be so easy. It's going to be so joyful. And it's going to be so, so, so without any obstacles. No. Jesus was not wasting his time in self-defense and didn't waste any time in discouragement or self-pity. He was doing his saving work in spite of these obstacles. Please, please, do not justify your indifference 
or inactivity or passivity with obstacles. Let me be clear. When you do work of the Lord, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face opposition. Don't be discouraged or despondent. Serve people for the glory of God. Our circumstances may affect us, but should not change our focus and mission or even stop us. Let them even fuel us. Because when we do right things and we face a position, we are really on the right track. Because Jesus faced it. So when we, when we face the same, we are really doing God's work. You know, my grandfather was arrested six times. Six times. But every time when he was released, he continued his ministry, continued to disciple and plant new churches. Despite of all this pressure and attacks. Secondly, in the ministry context, we see that society of yesterday, very similar to our present society. In these verses, uh, 32-35, we see kind of brief description uh, of the condition of the people who surrounded Christ at that time. And we should notice that the people around us today are like those who surround Christ. See, Verse 35, Jesus was going through all cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So first, we see thirst for redemption, thirst for wisdom, thirst for knowledge, thirst for help. We see that people gather it, gather it around synagogues, a place of worship, place of prayer, study. Why are people going to... Uh, or why do people visit temples? Why do they attend religious services or meetings? Why do they participate in various trainings and seminars? Because they are looking for something unique. They are looking for redemption, satisfaction, improvement. People try to overcome their guilt or shame. They try to calm their conscience, find forgiveness of their things, justify their way of life or improve it. But let's be honest. It did not work without Jesus. Many of us, many of us try to live a better life. I remember myself when I was a young man. I tried to live a better life and I, th- I tried to be a good, obedient child or son. And I thought, okay, next Monday I'm going to be a perfect guy. And so next Monday... Uh, Maybe it lasts for a few hours and I failed again. So I thought, maybe it's a run Monday. I need to choose the next month's Monday. <laughs> so I've been waiting for next month Monday. And maybe it's lasted a little one hour, maybe one minute longer. And I failed again. So I thought, okay, maybe it's a run Monday. It should be New Year Monday. And I failed again. People try to improve. They can improve something, but it's not going to really change their life. It's not going to work without Jesus. So also we see not just thirst for redemption and wisdom and knowledge, but also for hope and bright future. We read that Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of true hope and real life. After all, the gospel, the word gospel translates as good news. The gospel of the kingdom is a good news about common kingdom of peace, goodness, love, and justice. It's amazing. But today, people around us, or even us, we're trying to build our own kingdom and carry our self-made gospel of peace and prosperity just as they did then, during time of Christ. Some people believe in their strengths. Some trust in their politics, connections, money, relatives, family. And if you're Kansas, you trust in your guns too. (laughs) Everyone, everyone has has a special hope, ultimate hope, that I rely on to get something. Like in Russia, if I ask someone, how I can pray for you, I would say, majority of people will say to me, pray for my health. If I'm going to have health, I'm going to achieve everything. Everybody has an ultimate hope. Maybe I have connections, maybe I have this or that. It's going to help me to find joy and to be kind of happy person. But only the gospel of Christ's kingdom brings true happiness, satisfaction, and absolute joy. 
We all have a thirst for happiness and the hope. It is this inner desire that training gurus, politicians, and religious charlatans speculate on. We seek, we seek hope, meaning, fullness, purpose, and future. But Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom. We should repent of our false hopes, false gospels, arrogance, self-righteousness, self-centeredness, self-pity, and accept God's plan of salvation and redemption. Submit to Christ and enter under His rule. And thereby, find true hope and lasting joy. We will not save ourselves. Only God's Messiah. Also, we see search for healing. Look at the end of verse 35. He was healing every disease and every affliction. This confirms that a king is here and the kingdom is at hand. And, and it points out to all our limitations and needs. Even today, even though we already know so much and our doctors and, and dentists can do incredible things, we, we are still sick. And strangely enough, with each generation, people becoming kind of weaker and more susceptible to disease. Like, I don't know how it's in America, but in Russia, when I look at young people, they all kind of always tired. It's like epidemic of tiredness. Like, let's do something. I'm so tired. What did you do? I've been in school. Oh, I didn't know that's so hard to be in school. No, I'm tired. I need to have a two days off now. It's like epidemics, epidemics. It seems like a generation after generation get weaker, weaker, and more susceptible. But, you know, we also, we also get new diseases and new viruses. There are, more, there are so many incurable diseases in the world today. Humans are not invulnerable. Our physical bodies are dying. Our body cells can divide 50 plus minus five times. And that's it. That's it. Physical death. Nobody can stop it. Yeah, plastic, plastic surgeries can hide this aging process, but it's not going to work. You can't stop this process. So, beloved brothers and sisters, people have stayed the same. They are the same today as in Christ's time. But look at Jesus' attitude toward them. Let's, let's go to verse 36. We see his heart. Seeing the people, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So Christ looked around himself and saw the crowds. And Matthew showed us what's happened in his soul. He kind of opened a window to his heart. Jesus experienced great affection and deep compassion for these people. This is not some kind of sentimentality or superficial feeling of regret or sorrow. The ancient Greek word, this ancient Greek word, is very powerful. It points to the deepest corners of Jesus' soul. Probably the best description I can offer you, if you find out that your mom or your child got, got to a terrible car accident and injured badly, and you came to visit her or your child in a hospital, and the very first time you see your child laying in this bed, hospital bed, your heart and your soul are going to be moved with compassion, sorrow, pain. You kind of not just sympathize with these uh, people, but move on and, and move on. Your heart is filled with sorrow, pain, affection, compassion. So Christ could not look at this reality indifferently or passed it by. Jesus was hanging a cross for all the world's suffering and sins. And actually, he was moving, moving there to die for our sins. So you can look at people, but not see them at all. I remember as my grandfather's church uh, started to work with uh, orphanages, 
for uh, for children kind of development with development delay. It means that you median children like 16 years old by the kind of thinking like eight, nine years old. And I remember my grandfather asked me to do a Bible study for, with them, and I was 90 years old. And uh, I was college kid and uh, full of pride and arrogance, like I could do Bible study for you, I'm kind of smart, I'm a college kid. So I got this group of, there were maybe 25 uh, people, uh, some from church, some from these orphanages. And uh, before we, uh, and actually we started to read the Bible, and I started to ask some questions, and uh, what, they, what this passage meant, and uh, how we can interpret that. And some people are saying, like, oh, this is kind of interesting grammatical construction, and let's do some exegetical work. And then finally we came to one boy, he was 16, from these orphans, orphanages, and uh, he looked at all of us, looked at me as a leader, and he said, I really love this phrase, Jesus went to the, board, to the boat. And I looked at him with superiority, and I thought, what's, what's special about that? What's really interesting? Why are you kind of highlighting this phrase? It was really, I, I really wrong. I was really wrong. I repented at that. So I'm really confessing my sin to you. So he looked at me, and I saw tears in his eyes. And he said, this is my Jesus went to the boat. It's like electric, like electrical strike got to my body. My Jesus. He said it. He loved Jesus so much that for him, everything was about Jesus was great. I was kind of super Bible study leader, and I'm not having such a heart for Jesus like this boy, De mentally developmental delayed boy. But he continued, said even more. He said, he got his boat to go to the Golgotha to die for my sins. Wow. God really humbled me that time. I repented in my heart. By the way, so I, I came there like a super Bible study leader. I was going back very humbled, uh, uh, repented person. And you know, many years passed by, and uh, I've been in one conference, and afterwards, a young man came to me. Believe it or not, but it was bo that boy. God blessed him so much, and he became a financial advisor of a local bank. With mentally development, kind of developed delayed, God not just saved him, but blessed him so much. But I look so down on him. So when Jesus looked around this, he saw something different. He had such a different heart. The leaders then, the religious and political leaders, were bad shepherds. They exhausted the people and dispirited them, as the Bible says to us. They didn't love these people. Jesus, on the other hand, loved them and came to die for them to save them. I was always amazed at Jesus' ability to look at the root, to see what is hidden behind the facade or out of facade. He didn't look and see the tax collectors, harlots, the peddlers in the temple, the cunning of self-righteousness religious. He saw weary and helpless people, exhausted by false messiahs, or messages, their sins, hopelessness, and despair, the outward success that does not satisfy, achievements that do not satiate, and religion that does not save. You know, you can see it clearly living in Moscow. Uh, by the way, in Moscow subway, every day we have more people than in Kansas State, more than three million people. It's a very crowded city, and when you take in subway, and I'm usually taking subway, I'm not so good driver as my wife, and uh, I don't have so much time, and, and she has. Uh, and uh, so I'm using subway <laughs> to travel uh, because a traffic jam in Moscow could be terrible. Like, like uh, you may go one day 15 minutes to one, that spot, and next day you will go, or on the way back you're going to go for one hour. So, and because my wife taking care of our children, so she's driving car, and I have a privilege to drive subway <laughs> or use subway. Uh, and uh, you might be very tired of, you may 
running out of passion. But Christ's response was quite different. He had compassion. He looked beyond all the commotion. He looked at the heart full of despair, worries, skepticism, and distrust. After all, before Jesus, there were so many false messiahs. People didn't have a true shepherd, as described in Psalm 23. Jesus is a true shepherd. So, what he saw, look at verse 37. Jesus not only had compassion, he saw the future. He saw perspective. He saw, let's read, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Who is the harvest based on the context of this passage? Who is the harvest? It is these weary and dispirited people. Their hearts have been softened through this hardship they have already experienced. They are prepared by God to be ripped. This is His work. He now needs laborers to put it together. No matter how paradoxical it seems, but God uses terrible things for His glory and our good. Not that He intentionally delights in evil or, or deliberately delights in it or just does evil, but in His wisdom, He does use it. Let us remember Joseph and his brothers, Genesis 50, chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph saying, Behold, you intended evil against me, but God turned it into good to do what is now, to preserve the life of a greater number of people. You know, in our church, we experience tremendous spiritual growth because of many difficulties and trials. You know, I, I, I want to say to you, we, we feel every Sunday that it's our last Sunday. Everything might be closed completely. So I see that people come into faith because of these difficulties and hardship. Of course, as a pastor, I would love them to come because of my preaching. But God using these trials to bring them to listen to my preaching. It's all glory goes to God. But He uses these difficulties. You, I think probably each of us can give hundreds of examples of this. Someone even said that he gets closer to God when he lies on his sick bed. It doesn't mean that all, all of us need to get sick and uh, to be in a hospital. But it's simply that a moment of sorrow, trials of, or illness, one might feel very close to the presence of God. And know one needs Him even more than when He is doing well. So for, for some, these trials soften their hearts. For some, it's the harden their hearts. But still, there are many, many with softened hearts. Look, Christ saw the future. He saw the awakening. He saw potential. It is because of these people, such unsightly and difficult people. He sees in them a future. He brings them real hope. He is a, their crucified shepherd, giving his life for them. His disciples... So annoying and unfit people, Jesus, on the other hand, saw the harvest. And there are many, there are so many people around us today who need help, who need help. Even though they sometimes reject it, but they are already weary and of the burdens of their life. It's hopelessness and sometimes meaningless. Look at the rate of divorce, suicide, depression, indifferent, entertainment, seeking, and boredom. And you can continue. People really weary around us. Very weary and very, very hopelessness. So how do I relate to these people? When I meet them on the street or in grocery store, what comes in my mind first when I see them? Anger, resentment. Irritation, arrogance, pity. Jesus had compassion and saw the harvest. The harvest. 
Recall the parable. Let's recall the parable of wedding feast. Whom the king invited in the end? The most unsightly, the very last, the most forgotten. In the Bible, God often works through the weakest, the most unworthy, and the most outcast. We sometimes passed up the harvest by handing our labors or being motivated by our stereotypes. Something like, this is a good person, he's worthy to be saved. This is a terrible person, I don't want him in my row in my church. I'm not going to talk with him at all. But God has power to save the highest and proudest and to lift and use for his glory the most forgotten and unsuitable in human eyes. We could see the harvest because we trust in sovereign God who has compassion, has a perfect plan, and because of he loves. You, know, you remember when our church started to work with drug addicts, it's been very challenging to us because of none of us, uh, none of us was drug addict. We didn't know how to deal, but we saw there are so many young people like that. So we started to work with that, and I remember as one sister brought her, her relative, uh, his name was Andre, to our church, and uh, he has empty, empty, empty eyes, but also kind of cunning eyes, and everybody feared him. I remember he sitting in the corner, and nobody wanted to talk with him. Drug addict, terrible guy. And he really lied a lot, deceived a lot, did a lot of bad things, and even his relative was afraid of him. So she came to me and said, Pastor, can you talk with him? And we started our conversation, and I tell you that it was not easy, because I didn't know much. Uh, he was so cunning that he even deceived me. One day he ran to me and said, you know, there's a problem with my mom. I need, to, I need some money to buy medicine. Oh, sure, for your mom, please take it. And he bought drugs. But step by step, God's, God's words started to work in his heart. And then one day, a miracle happened. God gave him regeneration, and he repented and believed. And uh, he became a pastor one church in Novosibirsk that keep planting churches in the most dangerous places in Russia. They recently sent one couple to a place which I'm not going to call, but there has never been any evangelical church in Russia for centuries. They sent a couple, former drug addicts, who are afraid only God, only. They're ready to die for the Lord Jesus. It's amazing. We're partnering together and the good friends. I remember how God saved him. So unslightly, so unfit, so dangerous person. So look what Jesus has been doing and what, he, what kind of ministry he was doing by having this terrible, difficult context, having a compassion and seeing the harvest. What's his response? Look at verse 38. We see shepherd's ministry. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So quite, quite interesting verb is used here. Send out. It doesn't mean to recruit or to call or to find. This verb suggests that the Lord of the harvest already has someone who can be his worker. But they cannot yet be sent out for some reasons, or some reason. And the verb itself translates, cast out, threw away, sent away into the harvest. So basically, the Lord has someone, but they're not prepared. They're not really ready. They need to be sent. So the context of this passage shows us several, several reasons they have yet to be sent. They still need to be ready. It's no coincidence that Jesus did not say something like this. The harvest is huge, so roll up your sleeves and go. Why is so? Because our text teaches us to see, to feel, and to pray before we act. So to see. Seeing the harvest. 
having the right perspective and looking at the world and people around us as God looks at them. So, my friends, do you believe in abundant harvest? Do you believe? The harvest is plentiful all around us. Do you believe that? It's the words of Jesus, no mine. Jesus showed it to his disciples who did not believe it. They did not see it. The devil lies to us, trying to convince us that nobody wants to listen to the gospel. It's a waste of time. It's not your calling, and that you won't succeed. But the harvest is plentiful. I'd rather listen to God's word. He says the harvest is plentiful. God has them ready. God has many people who still need to be reached with the gospel of the kingdom, his kingdom, and his gospel. It's a, and you know, you're in Kansas. This is urgent call. You know what that means not to miss the harvest. It's time to get this harvest. There are so many people prepared to hear by God himself. This is what the disciples are to follow, to believe. Do you believe? These people need to hear the gospel in order to believe. How to believe without the preacher, right? Without the person who's going to share the gospel with you, as Paul saying in Romans 10. Let me give you an illustration. This is, I think, a perfect illustration. Some time ago, we went to do a big youth event. We were supposed to, I was in charge of that. And we found a good camp. Uh, where we can accommodate at least 1,000 uh, kids, kind of college kids. But this uh, nice camp didn't have a good auditorium which we can use. But there was a neighboring village, kind of village, small town. They have a good, big movie theater for one day, 1,000 seats. So we thought, okay, we're going to put these college kids in this camp, and we're going to rent this movie theater for our gatherings and events and the worship services. So we went to this uh, town to talk with the owner or a kind of leader or the director of this um, place, and she was so happy to give us a rent. So uh, we signed documents, uh, and I was there not alone. We had a senior pastor of local church, youth pastor, me, and a driver, so four of us. And it was May the 9th. In Russia, May the 9th, when we celebrate uh, World, War, World War II victory, and usually people get drunk around. So it was a kind of a sunny May day. Uh, and uh, we were standing with senior pastor, youth pastor, and the director of this movie theater, waiting for our car, for our driver. And our driver was driving back to us after filling his uh, tank. And, I, and we saw that. It was like in a way where we have this uh, entrance. It was really close. We thought we're going to jump in this car, go to have Siberian steaks and a Russian sauna. It's going to be have great time, great evening. And could you imagine, accidentally, but it was providentially, the bicycle driven by a young man with a young girl sitting behind his back just hit our car, and this couple just fall in knees of their faces on hard surface. Wow, it's a car accident. We went to see, we were actually run to see, and we saw that these uh, young kids, they were injured, not terribly, but some blood, and our car was broken. What to do? We needed to make a phone call to call police. Nobody in this town was willing to give us to make a phone call because they saw us as enemy. We kind of tortured their kids. We just kind of injured their kids, even our driver was not wrong. So I ran to house to house, and nobody was giving me a phone to make a phone call. Local people were, almost all of them were drunk, kind of one way or another. Some people who came from different cities, they were saying, if I give you a phone to call, they're going to burn my house. So we've been waiting for a couple hours. The whole town started together. Later, we found out that the boy who was driving his bicycle or motorcycle, he was a son of a police chief on that area. So when police came, they didn't want to offer kind of good documents because they want to make us guilty. 
we kind of injured this son, even we didn't do anything, and uh, also we did it on a May the 9th, kind of terrible. They look at us like a Nazi invaders. And the whole town get together, and we try to talk with them, but these people, they were bringing rocks and metal sticks. They really want to kill us. And uh, it was 9 p.m., and I thought in my mind, I'm going to die here. We're all going to die here. Because when people drunk or when people angry with you, they're not really controlling. They're not really thinking logically. So I thought, Lord, give me wisdom what to say to these people. I started to talk with them with a loud voice. I got a rock in my face, a stick in my hand. So I thought this is the end. I'm going to see my Lord. Suddenly, old veteran... He said, let him speak. And I start my preaching. Really knowing that it's kind of death and life preaching. And I said, you know, we came here with a purpose. To bring college kids to do a conference. We came here to bring blessing, not a curse. Suddenly, this police chief said... Last night, I was praying to God, whom I don't know, that he would bring someone to let me know how to find him. And he brought you. So I said, this is the answer of your prayer. And could you imagine? I said, let's pray to the Lord that he will come to your village. And the whole town bowed their knees, and we prayed. Local brothers said to me that sometime after, they planted a church there. You you didn't plant a church by coming and being threatened to be killed, right? But this is the way how God working. If you're going through a book of Acts, you will see how much uh, hardship and difficulty face Apostle Paul. But God prepared these people. They just needed to hear the gospel. They just needed to hear the message of his kingdom. So, look, this text has an amazing promise. God is the Lord of the harvest. Our ministry will not be fruitless. Being a co-worker of the Lord of the universe, this is incredible privilege. The Lord of the harvest will give us necessary strength and, and the resources to reap his harvest. He is much more interested to reap his harvest than even we could be. It is only a matter of doing God's work in God's method for his God's glory. We might think in terms of something other than our own resources and potential, but by size of the harvest and the capacity of the Lord of the harvest. God can do amazing things through Grace Bible Church in the whole world. Because of it's not really about you. It's about Him and His harvest. So see, see the harvest. Feel, feel compassion to be willing to lay down your life for them. Not judgment or anger or resentment or indifference or annoyance. I remember one guy from our church came to me uh, just at the beginning of this year. He said, you know, pastor, please pray for my uh, roommates and my dorms. It's such a terrible dorms. I have such a terrible roommates. Pray that God will have mercy on them, they will stop them, will come down then. I, they don't allow me to study well. They just can bring so much, uh, so many problems to me, so much uh, difficulty to me. So I prayed in my heart, but I prayed not only for these people, but I prayed for my brother that he would not hate them, but he would love them. So after some months... He came to me and said, you know, Pastor, how I can pray better for them? Because of, uh, when I pray for them, I really kind of forgiven them. So we, I gave him a few ideas. 
And finally, one day, he asked me to spend the evening of prayer with him for his doormates. And friends, we start baptizing his doormates. God changed his heart first. And instead of hate and arrogance and self-righteousness, he got compassion, forgiveness, and love to them. And uh, he started to preach, and God started to open their hearts to listen to So, see, feel, and finally pray. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that there is a great harvest before them, a feast of ministry this is constantly, that is constantly prepared according to God's sovereign plan. He said that the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there is no shortage of what God wants, can do, and does accomplish. God has prepared to reach harvest in ministry. There is only one deficiency, the laborers or workers of you. How do we make up for that deficiency? Even today, Jesus teaching in, are in contrast with modern culture. In time when we seek immediate and impactful action, Jesus emphasized different things, the importance of prayer. At the most appropriate and effective approach, he directs us to pray to God, the Lord of the harvest, as it is he who sends workers to reap his harvest and determine the size of our share. Prayer is, therefore, crucial. Jesus teaches us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, acknowledging that the harvest belongs to him. This call to prayer emphasizes the importance of humility. Our humility, reminding us not to rely solely on our strengths, knowledge, wisdom, confidence, power, abilities, encourage us to avoid a pragmatic mindset and in, instead trust in something greater than ourselves. You know, our church planted a new church this uh, September. And we had a great team, much better than when our church was planted. We did many good things to prepare them. And, you know, we thought that, gonna, that one thing going to be the most simple thing. We even didn't pray for that. A plant, a, a place to rent for this church. So when we about to launch the church, we found out that we don't have a place to rent and uh, we send our deacons to find a place to rest. they just trying to find it and work. Finally, we the church realized we didn't pray for that. We thought it's so simple. So simple. It's the easiest thing to do. We thought that the money team was going to be the hardest. But also rent was they find a, find a place. So three days before the lunch, God gave us a place. But only when we truly repented in our self-confidence and trusted Him, He gave us a great place to start the church. And I, and I talked with a, uh, a pastor of that church plant just uh, last Monday, and he said that God is doing an amazing thing. There were, uh, there were already many people coming, seven people signed for baptism. We just launched in September. God already there. God already there. Please note that this is not a call intended for a single person. Please don't think that a missional activity is kind of activity of superman, superstar, superwoman. It's activity for all of us. It's a, it's a call addressed to all believers. We all play a crucial role as a members of God's harvest team. Each and every one of us uh, is necessary and valuable. So the last point, our response. We saw what context of ministry was the context of ministry of Jesus. We saw his heart. We saw his response. We saw his call. And now our response. Where will the workers come from? They're going to come from Grace Bible Church. It's those who will pray. Those who will see the people's need as Christ sees. And those who will share the hope and the future with the people. The text calls us to have a correct view 
of the people around us. Compassion, not judgment or anger or resentment or indifference. To see the harvest, to see awakening. Become a harvest worker by surrounding our life and our heart to the Lord of the harvest. Surrender to Him. Who are these workers? The people who found true shepherd, who really experienced His grace and mercy and forgiveness and blessing. And we want to share that. You know who is the best evangelist? The people who love the Lord dearly. If you really experience in His blessing, you will be His labor of the harvest. They, they got this, they got a blessing being led and cared by true shepherd. That's why they were willing to help others. Jesus found us and is leading us, not to partic- uh, leading us now to participate in his harvest. After all, it's so big that each of us need it. Each of us need it. Each of us. Even 90 years old lady. Just recently, I received a letter from Yuri, whom I mentioned in the very beginning of my sermon. He found me on social media, social network. And he wrote what's happened to him after the university. He ended up in the army, faced many difficulties. He remembered what I was talking about and found the New Testament I gave him as a gift. He started to read and God opened his eyes to see and his heart to believe. He repented and believed. Today, he pastors a church in the Ural Mountains area in Russia. So, will you participate in the Lord's harvest? Come and join his team. This is the best life to live for. So, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are Lord of the harvest. You're such a merciful and gracious God that you not only forgive our sins and gave us your grace to become your daughters and sons, you gave us what we not really deserved, and you gave us such an amazing grace and love, but you decided to give us even more. You decided to make us your labors to make your, us your workers of the great harvest. You decided to give us such a unique purpose of this short earthly life to participate with you to bring salvation to people around us. Please help us to have compassion. Please help us to be driven with your love and your grace and help us to feel the pain. Please help us not just pass by the harvest, but see the harvest. Help us to pray and do what we can for the glory of our Savior and for His kingdom's sake. And please bless Grace Bible Church and bless Russian Bible Church that we can lift up Jesus' name together and we could reach many, many people for Christ that even that beautiful building would not be sufficient. Help Grace Bible Church to plant more churches. And help us do it together. Till you come to take us home, help us to reap your harvest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.